Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on December the 6th, 2011. For newcomers, you should help yourself to the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com and download the audios for your leisure at listening because there's hundreds and hundreds to choose from and hopefully you'll begin to understand this big, uh, very complex system, this overarching system above politics, above uh, the media, this system that really runs the world. And I try to go through some of its history, at least when it bobbed up down through time. It does bob up under different names down through the centuries. And, of course, you end up with the Royal Institute of International Affairs today and the Council on Foreign Relations and the Trilateral Commission, all part of the same group. They decided a long time ago to take over the world and all of its resources and to use specialists and experts to run the world rather than politicians. And we're going through all the transitional phases now. We're living through them. People are adapting through them. And uh, it's so surprising people have, they don't have much reaction to it. They, they, they've been taught to always adapt and adapt, and we are an adaptable species, and so it's very easy to go along with the changes uh, that come along all the time. We've seen it happen with the, with the big banking boys being appointed now as prime ministers, basically, by uh, the big banking system that overlays everything, and uh, no one's making much of a fuss about it. And yet this is to be uh, repeated elsewhere across the world under the guise of saving the economy, saving the stock market, and so on. And it will flow everywhere eventually. Once it happen in one country, you'll see it just just monopolize all the rest. They say, well, they're doing it over there. What's wrong with doing it here? And we're actually seeing it already because we have many appointees in all so-called democratic governments that are non-elected. We have these uh, science czars, different czars appointed in the U.S. Canada has its own branch as well, and so does Britain and all the other countries. So they're gradually phasing in expert rule and phasing out the, the, the political system of elected rep- representatives. We don't need to have elected representatives anymore, they claim, because we're run scientifically. And actually, they're, in, in many ways, they're right. We are run scientifically. Help yourself to the audios. And remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you. And you can um, help me take along here by buying the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And you can also donate, if you so wish, uh, at, from the U.S. to Canada. Remember, you can still use a personal check to Canada or an international postal money order. So the same price as an ordinary postal order from your post office. But you must see international. And you can also use PayPal. Uh, some people just send cash across the world, Western Union moneygram, and PayPal once again. As I say, it's, it's so strange to get a, a leg up, you might say, even when you're young, to understand the system you're living through, understanding the cons from the past as well. And um, you, you'll find literally a, a group of people a long time ago, mainly bankers actually, decided to, do, to bring in this system. They, saw, they foresaw the end of the industrial era coming back in the 1800s. 
and they wanted to expand this into a global empire and grab all the resources of the world. That was started with diamonds and gold, and they went into all minerals and all metals, uh, everything you need in, need in um, metallic industry, and then into food supplies, water supplies, roads, everything, uh, basically, as to go under this, this private feudalistic system, which they, they said was the best form of rulership there should be. After all, they were the most evolved. They proved it by uh, grabbing the world's wealth already. They're all already stinking rich, and uh, so were their parents before them and grandparents. Therefore, they were deemed, obviously, the fittest to rule the world as they wrapped the Darwinian uh, theology into their belief system. Now, the music's coming in, so I'll be back with some of today's... I hate saying stories because it's, that's what they are. They give us stories, isn't it? Back after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix. As I say, money is a great thing because no one understands it except the con men who invented it and uh, who de- have always dealt with it ever since. And they can get you so lost just looking at how they make profit out of countries crashing and uh, companies losing everything. They make, they, make money, they make profit off it, people losing. And we can't wrap our heads around that kind of stuff because we, we were taught to think in a linear fashion, whereas these guys don't think in a linear fashion at all. They're natural, in a sense, they're naturally wild. Interesting term, wild, because that's a term that Charles Galt and Darwin talked about when he said, we'll have to alter all the people by putting hormones in their food, etc., and uh, literally re-engineering them. But we ourselves, being the elites, must not do it to ourselves. We must retain our wildness, be the wild man, because we'll have all our survival capabilities, like a good predator should. So you can understand these characters at the top are true predators. And they've been taught this by their parents and, and going way, way back. It's a science, of course, they're taught to themselves. And they can get their heads around all these little nooks and crannies that you cannot fathom. Uh, you, you never dream of, of, of what they can actually do and make billions out of countries falling apart. Even selling companies which they own themselves and then betting on them failing. I mean, it's just scam after a scam. And we take this as for granted. And, of course, there's no law in the books that says you can't do it. Because, you see, the same people run the law system, and and they make sure that they aren't going to block their own escape hatches, obviously. That's why they never ever change things after crashes. We, we always think of the Great Depression as one time when they, they, they did the big bank scam, but, but we forget that in the late 1800s in the U.S. alone, they had two major crashes in the late 1800s by Gould and Morgan and another one who got together and decided to crash everything and they plundered everybody's pensions even at that time in private savings and they never plugged the loophole they'll give you a new, a new con uh, and the new con of course is, is they have a lot of talk about it lots of speeches are given by presidents and prime ministers across the world saying this will never happen again we've got new committees to oversee this kind of stuff and it's all nonsense because you have to look into what they've actually done which is basically nothing what they say is not legal, you see. It doesn't matter what they say. That's what they write down and put in the books. It's legal. And it's the same thing that's happening today as they go in with their super committees in the U.S., this new super committee that's nowhere to be found in any, uh, any constitution. 
which they just decided to put in it themselves. It's a form of technocracy, getting used to technocracy and ruled by experts basically handling uh, this vague system called money. And uh, through money and through the debt, of course, they're also achieving all their goals of putting in technocracy. And technocracy is actually a doctrine. It's not just the technocrats. Uh, there's one type of technocrat that's a Brzezinski type or a Kissinger type who goes behind the scenes, goes across the world, meeting very important people, getting things done, even getting war started too. And... Um, and they're not responsible to the public. That's one form. But the, the technocracy as a, as a science is literally a, a world run by experts from the top right down to, to, to through actually what they've got in Britain, basically, where social workers are involved now in everybody's life, everybody. And every child is born. There's a whole massive system there to take care of that child and come into the home and go right through their whole life with them, basically. That's technocracy. It's just like when you're in a form of communism, you don't know you're in the communism because no one in the media will use the word. Yeah, that's why you won't, you won't connect what's actually happening, even though every plank of the communist manifesto has been accomplished. It's quite, it's quite amazing how you perceive things or, 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 and how you're taught to perceive something, and all you're really doing is taking someone's opinion from the media. We don't really think critically about things. And we're not encouraged to think critically. Everything is groupthink. School has been for years. And consensus in the classroom. But money and debt has been the bane and the scourge of the planet since, since those who first came up with it uh, ended up being the lenders. And it always will be as long as the same thing goes on. It cannot change. And it won't change. It will make sure since it's in charge it's not going to change. But debt is a wonderful thing, isn't it? And it says here, this is last month, the U.S. debt tops $15 trillion mark today. And we're so used to, I can remember when billions was a lot of money and even millions was a lot of money. And when Ronald Reagan was in, I think it was big, big news that he'd hit the, the trillion dollar mark for armaments. And everybody thought, whoa, wow. And, and here you are, the, the annual debt, you know, basically $15 trillion. And when they talk about balancing the budget, they don't mean actually paying off the debt. They're trying to pay for the year the interest on the debt. So it's never paid off. And that's what interest is all about. It's compound interest by the day, the month, the year, etc. So it says, uh, don't look now, members of the super committee are battling the national debt. But the amount the U.S. always toppled the 15 trillion mark Wednesday. That's a lot of George Washington's. And they give you a link to usdebtclock.org. And it shows you all the banknotes. With a week un- until the committee's deadline to reach agreement to, on cutting 1.2 trillion to 1.5 trillion from the federal deficit over the next 10 years, the Joint Select Committee on Deficit Reduction still has no agreement to stem automatic cuts to the budget. Now, how can they when they've got ongoing wars? And they, they talk on about how it used to be. It says the deficit has ballooned to nearly $40,000 for every man, woman, and child in the U.S. this year alone. Now, by the way, when you think about that, you see, if you had a visa card or a credit card, uh, the time you paid that off at the minimum interest, you're into the millions. You're actually paying millions. So it's really millions on every man, woman, and child in the U.S. So this year alone, the U.S. will spend $1.3 trillion more than it takes in. And I bet you it's a lot more than that today. That they borrow, but uh, the, the bankers control tune. They play the they they, they play the, the the pipes, and everybody dances to it basically. 
and no one's got a clue how to change it because the ones who run that uh, run your governments. It's quite simple. They prove that they have their own guys in governments, you know, and they're not about to sink themselves. And that's so much power to give up. Heady stuff, power, isn't it? Very heady stuff. Now, as we go into the the open society, the open society is part of communitarianism, where no one can have any secrets at all when you're you're in this new communist form of of uh, communitarian society, your little community there. Everyone must know about you, and all your details and data must be up on the records as you're taken over by these new commissars when they decentralise governments. Now, they have different names for it in different countries, but uh, they call it communitarianism and the Great Society in Britain. Uh, in the U.S., it was George Bush Sr. who first said communitarianism, used the word communitarianism. And not one single person in the media says, that's awful like communism. <laughs> you know, not, not one single person. Because your media is all controlled by the same people and owned, actually, by the same people who run the banks. But anyway, now the National Health Service, what's left of it, since everybody's deserting in droves, even the surgeons, uh, says the National Health Service patient should be uh, should be a research patient. So, if you, in other words, if you have a if you're a citizen of Britain and you, you're on the National Health Service, uh, then all your data has to be, get to be given to private companies now to spread across the whole planet and sell it off, uh, because you're really a research patient. You're not a human being anymore. You're a commodity. You're a re- research patient. Uh, says with their medical details opened up to private healthcare firms, says David Cameron, who is the titular Prime Minister. The PM says it will mean all those who use the NHS in England will be helping in the fight against disease. What a great con, eh? So give up your privacy to help fight disease. Eh? Well, it's the same stuff with give up your freedom and, and all that to, for, for it to be protected. It says he hopes the result will be that patients get faster access to new treatments and Britain's life sciences sector will become a world leader. And that's what they're calling it now, life sciences, as they experiment on you and kill you off. And last night I talked about the, the, the pathways to, to death, basically, that they put you into. All they do is have a, a little deco. A deco is a little peep, you know, at you and see how old you are and kind of mentally judge you. And um, and then and, and you go to the pathway and they starve you and just you die off and that's it. After all, it's, it costs money to keep you alive, you know, once you're sick. Yeah. And old folk, after all, they're not producers anymore, you know. And that's how it is. We're all being trained that way. Life is cheap now. It will become as cheap as China. This isn't China. Because China is a model state for the world. And we're so degraded now, too, and we accept all the stuff, even hanging bodies and displays of arts. Uh, there are plasticized bodies. We, we don't only minds. We're really cheap now, aren't we? Life is nothing at all. They're even putting the morning after pill on the supermarkets in the U.S. That's part of the Obamacare project. They're talking about doing that now. So you can get your headache pill and, and you can get your abortion pill and, and off the shelf and, you know. So we, the more we're degraded, you see, the more all these, these agendas can go forth as we're planned to do. And we accept them. And all you are is a commodity in the hospital and they can experiment on you because it's going to help those in the future, you understand. And if they think they're a bit too old, they'll help you. They'll help speed up the process by just starving you to death. Isn't that wonderful system? Hmm? So anyway, critics say commercial interests are being put ahead of patient privacy. Uh, you know, I wonder who these critics are. It's almost as though they've got available critics to pull from. 
just like these bioethicists that suddenly appeared where it came to, to basically euthanasia. They suddenly appeared out of nowhere. We didn't know they existed. What bioethicists? All they are are people who've trained in eugenics and economics. And so what they do is balance the, the cost of life against the economic system. We can do wars and stuff because that brings in profit, you see, for the big boys who own your country. And you can plunder everything from them and the companies get very, very rich. Uh, and even richer than they are already. But we ourselves are just peons. Mind you, we're happy peons. Most folk are happy peons today because they've never had so much fun. There's so much cheap entertainment out there. They can have fun, fun, fun. And then they wake up when they're 60 or so, uh, before, and it never really matured up until with them. So they try to pretend they're teenagers, and then they get put down the pathways into starvation and death, you know. <laughs> Run and collect your pension. Pensions, after all, that, that, what you're going to use it on you, you're going to use it on food and stuff like that to keep yourself alive. I mean, you know, the government needs that money. Just give it to them and go quietly. Back with more after this break. I'm Alan Watt. We're back cutting through the matrix. And lobbying, of course, is really, in a sense, from the elite's point of view, lobbying is just their form of democracy. And that's what democracy is, isn't it, really, today? It is that way. And it's probably been that way for an awful long time, if not always. And, as, I mean, these big guys at the top of politics are highly unlikely to see an ordinary citizen about some problem. But this, this, they will see these lobby. They're on first name basis, and, and you know they jet each other around for holidays and stuff like that. You know, but since one of Britain's largest lobbying companies has been secretly recorded boasting about its access to the heart of the government and how it uses the dark arts to bury bad coverage and influence public opinion. Well, there's nothing new in this. They've always done this. An undercover investigation by the Bureau of Investigative Journalism, published in the Independent Today, has taped senior executives at Bell Pottinger. It's one of these lobbying groups. Claiming they have used their access to Downing Street, that's the British government or where, where the Prime Minister stays, to get David Cameron to speak to the Chinese Premier on behalf of one of their business clients within 24 hours of asking him to do so. They actually got him to do it. Boasting about Bell Pottinger's access to the Foreign Secretary, William Haig, to Mr. Cameron's Chief of Staff, Ed Llewellyn, and to Mr. Cameron's old friend and closest number 10 advisor, Steve Hilton, suggesting that the company could manipulate Google results to drown out negative coverage of human rights violations and child labor, revealing that Bell Pottinger is a team which sorts negative Wikipedia coverage of clients. Seeing it was possible to use the Member of Parliaments known to be critical of investigative programs to attack their reporting for minor errors. Uh, but the same thing we saw, too, uh, with the whole uh, Murdoch scam. They were into the same thing, because after all, all media in a, in a, is a way of, of covering and burying and telling you what they want you to think and believe. Uh, they've always done this. In reports from the Bureau Post, as agents from the government of Uzbekistan, a brutal dictatorship responsible for killings, human rights violations, and child labor, and representatives of cotton, uh, cotton industry in a bid to discover what promises British lobbying and public relations firms were prepared to make when pitching to clients and what techniques they use and how much of their work is open to public scrutiny. Remember, Fergie was doing that too. Remember the Duchess? 
uh, because her man at the time was in charge of all basically UK relations abroad for big contracts, big government contracts, and she was taking £500,000 a time for it. She boasted about it when she was drunk, remember? In Uzbekistan, child labour is used in cotton fields and, and so on and so on. And it says, I've been working with Hilton, Cameron and Osborne for 20 years. The Bureau contacted 10 London firms. Two refused to take the business. Several others did not reply, while five, including Bell Pottinger, appeared to be keen to work with the fictitious Uzbek representatives. Bell Pottinger quoted £1 million plus as a fee for carrying out the work. So money talks, isn't it? Morality walks. Their claims, which were secretly recorded, will add to mounting concerns that an absence of regulation has made London the global centre for reputation laundering, where lobbyists work behind the scenes on behalf of the world's most controversial regimes. It's far more open in the U.S. It really is. It's very open in the U.S. Who's lobbying who and who gets all the contracts and even gets to use the U.S. military for its own agendas and things. It's rather in the open there. But in Britain, of course, they, they still try to keep up this stiff upper lip. We're all goody two-shoes because we all come from Eton and Oxford and Cambridge. But in reality, they're all as corrupt as can be because the society and the generation that grew up now with this in there is utterly corrupt. That's why. David Cameron pledged to tackle lobbying five years ago and then again last year, saying it was the next big scandal waiting to happen and has tainted our politics for too long. And then, of course, he got wrapped into the Murdoch stuff where Murdoch was flying him and all the other previous prime ministers all over the, the planet on his private jet. Well, the bottom line is lobbying is their form of democracy. We don't really count. You know, our job is just to get somebody in and then the lobbyists take over. Good article too on, it's called SWAT raids, stun guns and pepper spray, why the government is ramping up the use of force. And it goes into all the scenarios and, and the reasons have given for it. This is in February last year, a video surfaced of a marijuana raid in Columbia, Minnesota, uh, during the raid on Jonathan Whitworth and his family. Police took down the door with a battering ram, then within seconds shot and killed one of Whitworth's dogs and wounded the other. They always go in and kill your animals first. You know. That's to get you really enraged so they can kill you. They didn't find enough pot in the house to charge Whitworth with, even with a, a misdemeanor. He was, however, charged with misdemeanor possession of drug paraphernalia when police found a pipe. The disturbing video went viral in May 2010, triggering an outrage around the world. On Fox News, conservative columnist Charles Krothammer and Billy O'Reilly cautioned not to judge the entire drug war by the video, which they characterize as an isolated incident, which of course it isn't. Since in fact very little about the raid was isolated or unusual, for the most part it was carried out the same way as drug warrants are served some 150 times per day in the U.S., the battering ram, the execution of the dog, the fact that the police weren't aware Whitworth's seven-year-old child was in the home before they riddled the place with bullets, the fact that they found only a small amount of pot likely for personal use, all are common in drug raids. The only thing unusual was that the raid was recorded by police, then released to the public after an open request by the Columbia Daily Tribune. It was as much of the country was seeing for the first time the violence with which the drug war is actually fought, and they didn't like what they saw. The video came to mind with outrage and public debate over the now infamous pepper spraying of Occupy protesters at University of California Davis protest earlier this month. The incident was just one of a number of high-profile uses of force amid crackdowns on Occupy protesters across the country. Then they go on to name some of them. 
But then it goes into what's happened over the last 30 years. And I'll touch on that uh, as we come back from this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Walker, back cutting through the matrix and going over some of the history here as to what led up to the, the present system now of just battering down doors and firing off the guns because all these guys too, remember, who dressed in the fancy outfits have been dreaming all their lives as they played all these video games to actually live the real role and here they are, they can go and shoot people up and stuff and, uh, and I'm not kidding you, that's why they created this generation to do so because this is an authoritarian system you're into, into now, it's not democratic at all. It's authoritarianism. And I mentioned that last night, that the Club of Rome said back in the 70s it'd have to go into a post-democratic a post system. It would have to be authoritarian in nature. So anyway, it says, um, Outraged by Occupy Crackdown, some pundits and political commentators who paid little heed to these issues in the past are now calling for a national discussion on the use of force. So welcome development, but it's helpful to review how we got here in order to have an honest discussion. Part of the trend can be attributed to the broader tough on crime and drug war policies pushed by politicians of both parties since at least the early 1980s. But part of the problem also lies with America's political culture. I'd say it's all the culture worldwide. Public, this all comes from Hollywood. Public officials' decisions today uh, to use force and, and the amount of force are as governed by political factors as by honest assessment of the threat of a suspect or a group it may pose. Over the years, both liberals and conservatives have periodically raised alarms over the government's increasing willingness to use disproportionately aggressive force. Actually, it is called, in many of the treaties have signed at the United Nations, overwhelming force, that they meet all domestic quarrels even with overwhelming force, which they do in Britain and elsewhere. They may be about 15 cop cars turning up and SWAT teams and choppers overhead over a man and a woman squabbling. That's happened in the past. And over the years, both sides have tended to hush up when the force is applied by political allies directed at political opponents or is used to enforce the sorts of laws they favour. According to Eastern Kentucky University criminologist Peter Kraska, the number of SWAT raids carried out each year in America has jumped dramatically over the last generation or so, from just a few thousand in the 1980s to around 50,000 by the mid-2000s, when Kraska stopped his survey. He found that the vast majority of the increases attributed to the drug war, namely warrant service on on low- to mid-level drug offenders. A number of federal policies have uh, driven the trend, including offering domestic police departments military training, allowing training with military organizations, meaning regular troops, using troops to cops programs, they had them straight in from the war zones as policemen, and offering surplus military equipment and weaponry to domestic police force departments for free or at major discounts. There's also been a constant barrage of martial rhetoric from politicians and policymakers. It's also the media and, and your movies. You're, you're being brainwashed in the movies. That, that this would all come for years, long, long before it actually happened. You were getting all these future scenarios, even, even from the old Star Wars movies onwards. You know, so they're all dressed up in these armoured... Uh, outfits, and there's no faces to them. It doesn't matter about the peons, they don't need faces, you know, just behind masks. That's what you see in these raids. 
dress cop up as soldiers, give them military equipment, train them in military tactics, tell them they're fighting a war, and, and the consequences are predictable. These policies have taken a toll among the victims of increasingly aggressive and militaristic police tactics. Are, are che Calvo, the mayor of Berwyn Heights, Maryland, whose dogs were killed when Prince George's County Police mistakenly raided his home. Mistakenly. This is a lot of mistakes, mate. Generally, it's the wrong house to go to and so on. 92-year-old Catherine Johnson, who was gunned down by narcotic cops in Atlanta in 2006. 11-year-old Alberta Supelveda, who was killed by Modesto, California, police during a drug raid in September 2000. 80-year-old Isaac Singletary, who was shot by undercover narcotics police in 2007, who were attempting to sell drugs from his yard. (laughs) Jonathan Ayers, a Georgia pastor, was shot as he tried to flee a gang of narcotics cops who jumped him at a gas station in 2009. Uh, Clayton Hellrigal, 23-year-old college student, killed during a marijuana raid in Ohio in 2002. And Alberta Spruill, who died of a heart attack after police deployed a flash grenade during a mistaken raid on her Harlem apartment in 2003. Most recently, voting rights activist Barbara Arwen was raided by a SWAT team in Prince George's County, Maryland. On November 21st, the police appeared to have raided the wrong house. The drug war has been the primary policy of driving at the trend, but since 2001, the federal government has also used the threat of terror attacks to further militarize domestic law enforcement. This includes not only finding new sources of funding for armor, weapons and gear, but also claiming new powers for the war on terror that are then inevitably used in more routine law enforcement. But paramilitary creep has also spread well beyond the drug war. Recent years, SWAT teams have been used to break up neighborhood poker games, including one at American Legion Hall in Dallas. In 2006, Virginia optometrist Sal Colosi was killed when the Fairfax County Police Department sent a SWAT team to arrest him for gambling on football games. SWAT teams are also now used to arrest people suspected of downloading child pornography. Last year in Austin, Texas, SWAT teams broke down a man's door because he was suspected of stealing koi fish from a botanical garden. SWAT teams because they think he might have stolen a fish. SWAT teams are even sent to enforce regulatory law now. In Hartford, Connecticut, a SWAT team recently raided a bar on the premise of suspected underage drinking. The same happened at a fraternity in Washington State. Often these inspections are merely a way for police to perform a full-on drug raid without the hassle of obtaining a search warrant. Tactical units in Orlando recently raided a series of black-owned barber shops under the premise of an occupational licensing inspection. Once inside, they then scoured the business's customers and employees for illicit drugs, mostly coming up empty. There have been similar instances at bars where police departments sending SWAT teams and drug raids under the cover of a regular alcohol inspection and once again getting around the need for a search warrant. So it goes on and on and on with these horror stories, so much with one after the other. And it's just going to get worse, folks, because, you see, no one cares. You see, uh, we've, we've, copied, we've copied the movies. Society has copied the movies. And the generation that's doing all this, including the guys who are their officers, all grew up playing kill, kill, kill video games, and now they can wear the real thing and, and do the real stuff. Uh, you see, society is sick and broken. And the only way to stop it would be to fire them all, literally fire them all, bring in a new culture with some kind of morality, and, and train them all from scratch with a decent morality to be actual policemen again. You know, guys you could ask the time from without getting shot. No kidding. That's the only way you're going to stop it. You know, and it won't happen, of course, because I say everyone thinks it's normal now. We're trained that way. We've adapted. 
Now, China, who owns an awful lot of the public debts of the U.S., um, they now want uh, things in return, like your roads and your water and stuff like that, which, of course, is part of the big agenda as well. It seems like uh, foreign governments and corporations are craving U.S. public assets like toll roads, electrical grids, and railroads. In the case of our largest creditor, the Chinese government, they don't want any more U.S. treasuries because they don't trust them, but they do want to own the hard assets that comprise our nation's infrastructure. China may be channeled part of its huge pool of foreign exchange reserves, may channel it into investment in U.S. infrastructure, including rail and transportation networks, Commerce Minister Chen Deming said on Friday. China is unwilling to take on too much U.S. government debt. We're willing to turn that money into investment, he told U.S. Ambassador to China, Gary Locke, and U.S. businessmen. In other words, they want to own it, and that's just selling your assets for, for debt. I'll put these links up tonight, too. Remember, all these, all these articles are put up for your perusal at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the night. Good article, too, on watching the wheels come off the green machine. As it's a bit misleading, too, because believe you me, even though people think it's all fallen apart, uh, we've all been signed on for more billions uh, to, to stop climate change. Let's <laughs> like stopping the weather. Eh? Uh, and uh, it'll continue. It's a big thing. It says the body count continues to rise as the green jobs revolution sputters away to the end of disastrous 2011. Few seemed to notice last week when the electric vehicle maker A123 Systems, poster child for successful clean tech investing, temporarily laid off 125 workers at its flagship manufacturing plants in Michigan on the eve of the Thanksgiving media break. And it also reduced its earnings guidance for 2011 by $45 million because its anchor customer, Fisker Automotive, unexpectedly delayed the production ramp up for its Karma luxury electric car again. But this actually is pretty good. And who owns all these companies? And, and how much your, your tax money is funding them all. No wonder they're all ticked off. Could these be the same plants that the Democratic congressional leaders hailed as the birth of a new era in American manufacturing? The same plants that received a $249 million U.S. Department of Energy grant from the same stimulus money bucket that founded Solyndra, you know, the solar panel collapse nonsense. The same plants for which Michigan shelled out $125 million in incentives to lure away from Massachusetts. Environmentally correct planners put all this public money to work to relieve the technology bottleneck they believed held back our transition to electric cars. So they invested my money and yours into building the largest lithium-ion automotive battery plant in North America to supply a Finnish electric car manufacturer backed by Al Gore's Venture Capital Fund, which received $529 million in federal loan guarantees. Uh, that Finnish manufacturer was supposed to begin production in 2009, but today has only shipped 40 cars into the U.S. Those cars were delivered to a handful of millionaires and billionaires like Leonardo DiCaprio and Ray Lane, who received tax credits because they bought an electric car from a foreign country with your tax money. <laughs> I'll make that your tax money, which is wonderful, eh? You can't make this stuff up. Unless you're a central planner, then you can make up anything you want and get away with it as long as taxpayers keep writing checks, politicians keep spinning tails, and pundits uh, keep giving them intellectual cover. The coming glut of automotive lithium-iron batteries will make for quite a fire sale 
forecast made as recently as three months ago predicted that electric cars would become the leading application for lithium-ion batteries by 2015, surpassing laptop PCs and other handheld devices. Who are they kidding? How many portable electronic devices did you own? How many electric cars have you ever seen? By any rational standard, the introduction of the Chevy Volts and Nissan Leaf, with fewer than 2,000 units sold between them last month, can only be described as disasters. And it goes on and on and on. But anyway, everything's a con, isn't it? Basically, you, you can't truly say you, you can keep the con going as long as you're using taxpayers' money. Taxpayers are just too happy, you understand. You know, they can still eat their, their chemicalized food, which they still think is food, you know, and, uh, and have lots of entertainment and get blotto on the weekends and, and party, you know. When, they, when that stops, that's, that's when they get angry. They get angry because it stopped, not because they're living in a corrupt society. Anyway, uh, Obama and the FDA, it says, considers putting uh, the abortion pill on supermarket shelves. I'll put that link up as well. Good articles on Latin America. There's a new block form, their own form. Uh, it's interesting because I wondered how they're going to do NAFTA. They're trying to get the, the whole of Latin America uh, one by one you know, brought into the, the, this, this um, NAFTA agreement to compete with, to be the same as Europe, basically. That was the old, old agenda. So they've got, they've got a faster way, and that's to create a Latin block first, a Latin American. What they'll do then is crash the economies uh, of that, and then they'll bring the whole lot together into one with the U.S. and Canada. I bet that's how they'll play it. Anyway, it says um, uh, that Latin America and the Caribbean nations form a new block. Same ones that are to, are to belong to the NAFTA, including the Caribbean. They're all in it together. I'll put that link up, and you'll see this big meeting too. I'll put a link up with Chavez. Uh, giving a speech at this so-called regional alliance. But uh, you wait and see. Uh, it's, it's a faster way to get the amalgamation done rather than taking them on one at a time and bribing them. That's how the German took the bribe you, you know. Um, another interesting thing, a bit, bit, of a, bit of a fun thing, Israel put out a, a big campaign on American television to get the Israeli expatriates back, the ones who left Israel to go to America, to make lots of money, um, they put a campaign out to try and shame them and feel guilty and homesick to get them back to Israel. But uh, because so many Jewish Americans complained about the ads, uh, they pulled them under Netanyahu's orders. And you can watch this little uh, video on that. And you'll see some of the very famous names who are actually born in Israel uh, that's been in the, in the media prominently over the years. And... <laughs> You know, I, I often wonder whether you even read this stuff because I've watched the decline of society for an awful long time and I've really studied the history of Hollywood. I really studied the history of uh, where most of these geezers who ran Hollywood came from, uh, from Germany and elsewhere uh, before World War II and how they'd done the same degrading of society and how they just simply transported it into the U.S. and did it all over again. But Hollywood goes, to, and, and, and sexual abuse goes hand in glove. I mean, it's always been that way. And uh, some of the old books on Hollywood are quite amazing. Even though, I think one of the first movies they made was, was Babylon, I think they called it. All black and white silent. And they built a big wall around the, the set. And uh, they had all these actors and actresses in there dressed like you know, nymphs. Uh, and this guy, this director from Germany, Carried a whip and you were around whipping them all for, for weeks. Nobody could get in. Screams and horrors. That, that, that's what the movie was ever actually published to the public. But anyway, um, 
Recent charges of sexual abuse in children in Hollywood is just the tip of the iceberg, experts say. It's not just children, it's everything. And it goes through some of the well-known people. It says, uh, if a spade of recent allegations prove true, Hollywood may have a hideous epidemic on its hands. Now, that broke out too many times over the years. But the same thing with uh, Polanski, who uh, used to get uh, some very well-known actors to basically invite young girls after charming their mums, uh, offer studio shots, and he would to Polanski's residence there, he would bathe them and then have sex with them. And that all came out in court years later, and that's why he's over elsewhere. But uh, it comes out every so often. Nothing ever happens about it, because you see that the power, there's a power mafia in Hollywood. Who knows everything? They know everything that's going on. And they'll keep everything under wraps as much as they can. Generally, when they expose something, it's because someone's done a dirty and broken one of their major rules. You know. Anyway, Martin Weiss, a 47-year-old Hollywood manager who represented child actors, was charged in Los Angeles in December 1st with sexually abusing a former client. His accuser was under 12 years old during the time of alleged abuse. Report to authorities that Weiss told him what they were doing was common practice in the entertainment industry. Weiss has pleaded not guilty. On November 21st, Fernando Rivas, Rivas, 59, an award-winning composer for Sesame Street, was arraigned on charges of coercing a child to engage in sexually explicit conduct in South Carolina. The Juilliard-trained composer was also charged with production and distribution of child pornography. Registered sex offender Jason James Murphy, 35, worked as a casting agent in Hollywood for, for years before his past kidnapping and sexual abuse of a boy was revealed in the Los Angeles Times November 17th. Murphy's credits include placing young actors in kid-friendly fear like uh, Bad News Bears, The School of Rock, uh, Cheaper by the Dozen, Two, and the forthcoming Three Stooges. Revelations of this sort come as no surprise to former child star Corey Feldman. Uh, Feldman, for himself a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, unflinchingly warned of the world of pedophiles who were drawn to the entertainment industry last August. I can tell you that the number one problem in Hollywood was and is and always will be pedophilia. Feldman told ABC's Nightline, that's the biggest problem for children in this industry is the big secret. And and other ones come up to the front and say it all happened to them too and so on and so on and so on. The usual stuff. Nothing will change though because there's more to it. There's more to the whole idea and people of Hollywood and meets the eye. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the matrix, and uh, we've got callers here. There's Jeff from Long Island hanging on. Are you there, Jeff? Hello. Yes. Hello, Alan. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Um, I've been following your work since about 2006 and supporting your efforts as well. And I want to share with you something that happened to me today, um, because I've also faced, like many of the callers have expressed over the years, a frustration with once you've put the effort and the time in to get your facts straight and to really figure out what's going on and get past the awfulness of it all, you then want to decide for yourself what is something I can do that has meaning. Um, Here in Long Island, in Suffolk County, uh, although it's symbolic, there was legislation heard today by the Suffolk County Legislature regarding uh, chemtrails and the uh, spraying of various uh, compounds, including barium, aluminum, and sulfur into the atmosphere. Um, the room was packed, 130-plus people were there, 20 folks spoke. It went on for over an hour and a half. It was quite uh, stimulating to see that 
when you think you're alone, nonetheless, you see a lot of folks articulate on the issues, expressing a, a desire to see things change, uh, admonishing the legislature for ignoring what's apparent over their very eyes. And I know you've spoken about this yourself, where if we won't even address what's happening right above our very eyes, then what good are we? Uh, it felt good to finally get behind something with the knowledge, with the information that you've helped uh, me you know, find through various resources and recommendations for books and articles. Yeah. And I just wanted to suggest to folks that if they wanted to get personally involved, while it worked for me, it, perhaps if we all kind of looked at our local government as a possibility, as a stepping stone for um, making this, uh, this assault on us more public mm -hmm. and, and getting more folks aware, uh, it has to start somewhere, and perhaps that could be the small stone that starts rolling down the hill. Yeah, it's a matter of people actually getting off the, uh, their, 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 their hind and getting out there. And uh, it, it, I mean, they're protesting Wall Street and all the rest of the stuff, but if you can't breathe in the future, what's the point? You know, you're going to be dying off with emphysema. Um, you got to get active and get involved and let all these guys know that you know who they are. You vote them in, you can vote them out. And, uh, you know, who's responsible for it. But this is a big agenda. You're quite right. I recently read articles where they've had their annual meetings about geoengineering. Canada have had uh, top so-called experts on geoengineering uh, on radio, CBC, uh, last weekend. And they call the program SPICE, by the way, S-P-I-C-E. You can look it up. Uh, this program of uh, they want to add more stuff to the spray. They want to put uh, metallic particles that will float like mirrors and um, and reflect the sunlight outwards again, let less sunlight reach the Earth. We're already in global dimming, we admit that. We know that's, that that coincided from NASA, from their timetable with the beginning of the spring in 98. Uh, so um, they're going full steam ahead with this, but we're, people are coming down sick with it. That's the bottom line. And um, uh, they know this too. They have, all, they have all our health records, and everything's computerized now, instant feedback to, to Washington, D.C. and Canada. It's in Ottawa. They get all the feedback. So um, they know what they're doing to us. And until we hold them to the fire, that they're, they're just going to keep denying it and, you know, keeping us busy elsewhere. Yeah. For me personally, it was very invigorating to see a room full of strangers where it wasn't the group uh, subject to infiltration like perhaps the Occupy movement can be uh, accused of, mm -hmm. uh, to see just almost a spontaneous gathering of folks, uh, young and old, business suits to casual dress, um, various folks all uh, in an invigorating, energetic manner, um, yeah. citing the facts, showing they're, they're, they're aware. And I would just suggest to those folks over the years and currently who are frustrated by what they can personally do to combat uh, you know, the, this, this awful stuff going against us, that to consider the local level and organize at a grassroots level and participate. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to organize at a grassroots level. You've got to get your own mandate out there. And whenever you see it yourself or the system or your group deviating from your mandate, you've been infiltrated, you've got to kick the top ones out and start all over again. And just keep at it and at it and at it. Absolutely. That's the way to do it. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God. All your gods go with you. Remember, help me out to this end and buy the books and donate. See you tomorrow. Mm -hmm.